Hi everyone and welcome to the TIPBS podcast. My name is Dr. Gavin Krishnamurthy. As always, I'm joined by Dr. K. Eyre. Hi, K. Hello. How are you? I am terrific. No, I'm not. Um, I'm a bit, a bit of a cold, I hear. <laughs> I do have a bit of a cold, so I apologise to people listening, but we're going to try and push on. So this is a book review chapter. We're reviewing the book The Whole Brain Child by Daniel Siegel and Tina, uh, Tina Payne Bryson. We'll get chapter four, which is called Kill the Butterflies, um, Integrating Memory for Growth and Healing. Kay, what did you think of the chapter? I thought this was a really good one, actually. I thought that there was a lot of things, um, I guess, that during our quick conversation tonight, Govinda, I'll clarify from a teacher's point of view. So Mm. some of the things that I read that was specifically about parents and children Mm. and them talking together, when I tried to apply that to my situation as a classroom teacher in a school situation, I I probably have a few questions about the application of some of the strategies in the school context. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's um, dive right into it and have a bit of a chat. So, I mean, the the chapter is about memory, isn't it? It's about how Mm. memory... Um, influences our social and emotional well-being essentially and one of the things he talks about first of all is some of the myths we have about memory sometimes we think about memory as just being like a photocopy of things that have happened in our life Um, Mm. or you know he says either or we imagine this metaphor of a filing cabinet where we kind of store factual kind of information in fact memory is the way an event from the past influences us in the present So our recall of the factual events and what that means for our day-to-day life um, is what memory really is. So it's a subjective experience. Um, And if you think about it in a trauma lens, memory is very, very important because if we have had really frightening, scary things happen in the past, our memory holds on to those kind of um, details of those events quite tightly because um, our kind of lives were threatened or we feel as though it was threatened. So that's a very, very important memory in terms of our survival. And it's something that we've carried with us over time um, to survive, you know, right from the caveman days. And it's something that um, we hold on to. So when we Mm -hmm. think of memories, it's really um, about, um, you know, conjuring up our learnings, both conscious and unconscious. We'll talk about this in a little bit um, and bringing them um, to the fore. So he uses the analogy neurons that fire together, wire together. Um, So the experience we've had in the past, our experience of remembering those experiences, they all contribute to setting up neural pathways in our brain that ultimately um, aim to help us survive and help us kind of function in a healthy way um, Mm. within uh, the community. So he talks about implicit and explicit memory. What did you think of that, Kay, that sort of distinction? Yeah, I I think that um, the implication in in the... um, in the um, in the chapter about that was that um, as teachers, he says that when we don't offer a place for children to express their feelings and recall what happened after an overwhelming event, mm. their implicit their implicit only memories remain yeah. in a disintegrated form, yeah. leaving the child with no way to make sense of their experience. Yeah, yeah. So he's from what I understand, he's saying how important it is that we give children space 
to explore explore their feelings and express their feelings because this is when we have kids who um, often react strongly to situations and they don't know why. Yeah, yeah. And it's because of those implicit memories that are creating fear and sadness and and they react and we think, oh, my goodness, where did that come from? I, I don't understand. It's like all of a sudden type of behaviour that seems a bit strange and out of character for the child. So... Yeah. So just to kind of define implicit and explicit memory for people. So explicit memory is what we kind of classically think about memory. Things that we kind of in a conscious state can recall, can remember. Um, we have stories around memories. It's very, very accessible. So that's explicit memory because we explicitly can remember it. Implicit memory is um, a more uh, fast, unconscious things that we sort of remember. So when we think about the function of implicit memories, um, when we're in situations of danger, we can't actually spend a lot of time recalling things from our past, you know, considering them, pondering them, weighing the pros and cons. We need to react quickly. We need to know what's happening. We've got to access kind of memories in our past where we've seen kind of little elements of danger. So the classic example we often give is if you're walking down the street at night and you hear a rustling and a tail going through the leaves, immediately you know from you know previous experiences or things you might have watched on TV or people have you know, who have spoken to you, that that's a snake. So you respond really quickly and that's an implicit memory. And it's a very, very important function for us to survive. Uh, unfortunately, for, for kids who are traumatized, those implicit memories actually become a liability because they are tied in um, to memories of really frightening experiences. Um, and essentially what happens is that children become hypervigilant for these sort of cues and other environments as well. So you miss, so implicit memories are often triggered for children unconsciously, like you're saying, Kay, and they don't realize it and they get upset. Um, and these are the situations where if you stop the child and ask them why they're behaving the way they are, why they're so angry, often they find it very, very hard to explain because they, has, they, they haven't had what they call an integrated experience. So they don't know that they have this kind of implicit memory that's triggering them off. Mm. And now that they're calm enough to access their explicit memory, which is memory they can access with volition, that they don't know how to put those two things together. So they're not integrated. They keep getting triggered. Um, and this is kind of an opportunity where teachers can help with that. So did you have a question about that, Kay? About yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. So one of the key messages in the chapter is that how we can help these children is by helping them to understand where their feelings are coming from and taking control of the brain. And he talks about using a narrative or telling a story. Yeah. And while I understand, I understood from reading it, how really important it is to encourage the child to, you know, to tell their story and explore their feelings. I felt quite frightened as a teacher that if I did that what if I explored the narrative with the child and I brought to the fore those scary experiences that were held in the implicit memory um, and I made things worse through that exploration I, I, I would yeah. feel a bit hesitant I mean, I know it's important to allow the child to talk about what, what, what has happened, but I think if, um, if we're talking about narrating the story, I just need some clarification about, as a teacher, 
how that would look? So such such a good question, Kai. And it, it's a really interesting one because often we hear this from teachers who have, who have gotten really good at building the relationship with the child. And once you've done that, they start telling you these things and you, mm. you don't quite know what to do with that material. So just to recap, the strategy, as Dan Siegel kind of describes it, is instead of fast forward and forget, try to rewind and remember. So our temptation with kids saying these things is to just brush over them, move on, um, don't for, you know, forget about it. Why are you thinking about that? It's upsetting. Just get on, let's move on, let's go. Um, instead, to just pause a little while to rewind and remember about you know, what was happening when you got upset, you know, what, what did it kind of remind you of and things like that. Having said that, um, the rewind and remember strategy, being really careful to kind of use that within the confines of your role and confines of their functioning at school. Um, so um, one of the really key things is that when you're actually talking to kids about this is that you are in a way, you know, be it whatever approach you're using, restorative justice or just critical incident debriefing, whatever it is, when you're talking to kids about that, that you want to kind of hold in mind that even though they might have an explanation for you about how they got really, really upset, at some level, they don't really know why they got upset and that there is an implicit memory functioning in the background. Now, it is not your job to kind of go in and pull that memory out and find a way to integrate it, but it's just to help them be able to reflect on what's happened, even if it means it's just reflecting on what was happening in the class just before the incident happened. If you can start by helping them do that in a non-shaming, non-threatening way, that goes a really, really long way in helping them sort of integrate their memories. Because if they can have an honest conversation about what's actually triggering them off, that's incredibly helpful and that's half the work done. If they start telling you about kind of traumatic things that have happened in the past, what I would sort of do is to kind of acknowledge it. Don't brush it away. Don't do the fast forward and forget. Acknowledge it. You know, say something like, yes, I hear you. I can see why something, you know, uh, this thing in the past may have upset you at the moment. I can see why that would have made you hard, you know, get angry. You know, why it, may, why it might make you harder to calm down, why it might make you feel more threatened. And then come back to the present moment to integrate with the explicit memories in the moment. You don't have to think about what was the memory, why did it happen, what else can you remember. You don't have to do any of that. No, okay. Mental health professionals who you can help with. Look, if the child persists with wanting to talk to you about it, um, you know, I would hear him out and then very gently sort of say, look, I can hear that this is upsetting for you. There are people who can help you with this better. Um, you know, in terms of help you make sense of it, but there are things I can help you within the school environment. Uh, and that could be anything from helping them calm down or helping them get the work better or being able to manage the environment so they're not so triggered in the future and that type of thing. Um, so it's a very, very fine line to walk. So you don't want to invalidate them because if you just sort of say, no, 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 you know, you don't have to talk to me about that. They will shut down and it'll actually yeah. be harder for them to talk to other people. Um, yep. So does that sort of answer your question, Kate? Yeah, it does. So acknowledge that whatever it is, it's definitely important. It's definitely happened. You can understand how that may have made you feel sad or angry or, you know, run out of the classroom, whatever it is, but then bring it back to the happening 
in the classroom or the in the school now. to yeah. the here and now. Yeah, absolutely. Look, that, that kind of sounds easy, but it's actually quite tricky to do. So I would constantly mm. be liaising with the people that the child is working with, or even if there isn't someone that for you can access and talk to somebody um, about what to do. Because sometimes some of the things that the child says, you know, it's difficult for the person listening to it as well. You know, teachers aren't necessarily trained in needing to hear about, you know, these sort of horrific things. And, no. you know, when you hear that, you get anxious, you get shocked, and that often paralyzes you in terms of knowing what to do and, you know, feeling as though you need to fix it. The, the good news is you don't have to fix it. You've just got to acknowledge it. Um, and, and when the kids sort of start to understand what your role is and what other people's roles is, they you know, start to respect and appreciate that. Um, mm. and, and Dan talks about the need to kind of practice this um, even when the child's not upset. So instead of, you know, say, how are you going? How was your day? To kind of actually have, you know, uh, exercise where you sort of say, you know, what was the best part of your day? What did you do today? Some teachers do that at the start of the day. Some teachers do that as a transition from one activity to another. Some people finish off the day with sort of picking one thing that they've learned or one positive thing that's happened. All those um, kind of routine practices um, actually help kids um, integrate their memory because what we know with, with trauma is that memory gets really fragmented that memories become these little islands that are disconnected across time um, and what you want them to do is build a story and narrative around who they are what their life's about and what their future is about mm. so uh, and I think uh, Dan describes us as putting the pieces of the puzzle together that process of you know, um, taking kind of things that have happened in the past, matching it with what's happening in the, you know, in the here and now. Uh, and the process of doing that actually helps um, traumatized kids kind of realize that I was in unsafe situations in the past and I am no longer there now. Um, unfortunately, for some kids, children, that's not true. But for a lot of children, mm. by doing that integration, they realize that the sort of feelings and reactions they have at home, you know, they don't necessarily have to have in the school environment. Yes, a lot of those are unconscious and happen quite quickly, but by having those kind of integrative kind of strategies, the kids slowly start to feel safe, slowly start to kind of pull at the differences between um, the two settings. Uh, the last one, he finishes off as always about helping us integrate and be aware of our implicit and explicit memories. Um, and you know, he talks about next time you, you know, react a bit too strongly or get a bit too upset or something feels really, really personal. Um, just knowing that, you know, that's possibly an implicit memory of your own being triggered off. Um, did you have any thoughts about that, Kay, about taking things personally or, you know? Yeah, I just, I, I just um, was looking here at the part that says, um, when you feel incompetent, frustrated or overly reactive, you can look at what's behind those feelings and explore whether they're connected to something in your past. Then you can bring your former experience into the present and weave them into the larger story of your life. And I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was really good because I, I liked it towards the beginning of the, um, the chapter where he says, the brain continually prepares itself for the future based on what happened before. Yeah, and that's such an excellent quote. And we recently did an interview uh, with a psychotherapist called Brian Post. He works with a lot of uh, traumatized families and children. And he talks about 
you know, needing to do a lot of this work yourself to be able to work well with these kids um, that, you know, they really push us to be more self-aware and more aware of sort of the human condition. And so the more we can kind of do this for ourselves, um, the more mindful and present we can be in those moments and not feel triggered or threatened or worried um, about our own competence or our own safety or things like that. Um, and so, you know, just be aware of the your buttons, you know, like kids will figure this out usually quite quickly, <laughs> especially traumatized kids in terms of what sets you off. Just be aware of it. Um, if you're even just being aware of it is often enough to not feel triggered or, you know, re be, become reactive in those moments. Uh, know where your kind of soft spots are and then kind of really actively practice strategies to be able to manage it. Um, you know, for me personally, uh, one of the things I used to really struggle with was um, some of our young people being quite racist. And, you know, something I kind of really did had to do a lot of work on is actually practicing little things I say to myself, little things I can think to myself, just breathing slowly because I know those things really um, trigger me off. And it's taken a bit of practice, but in time you realize that a lot of those things lose their sting and that you can just be present and think about the child, uh, the student in front of you, rather than just get caught up in your own needs. Mm. So that was great, Kay. That was a yes. cool with as well. Um, so the next chapter is chapter five. We'll do that next time. But that was a really fun chat. Thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. No worries. So for people looking to check out that Brian Post podcast, it's coming up um, next week. So keep an eye out for that. If not, we'll see everyone next time. Bye, Kay. Bye-bye.